Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And also welcome to the YouTube stream. Uh, we're continuing to do these more and more. Recapping Oregon's 2021 spring football game. Uh, Oregon's offense won this one 35-34. to 34, And it literally came down to the final play of the game. Uh, it, the game was won by Robbie Ashford, Oregon's freshman quarterback, and also baseball star, uh, scrambling out of the pocket on a two-point conversion and scrambled his way into the end zone for a diving score, which was ruled a touchdown, giving them the 35-34 point win, uh, a game in which there was plenty to like on both sides of the football, plenty to uh, work upon you know moving forward uh, a lot to dive into on this show and uh, we're going to break down the entire spring game and, and kind of our thoughts of, and everything that's transpired in this performance on Saturday at Austin Stadium 2 p.m. kickoff the game was on Pac-12 Network so if you missed it try and find a replay on the Pac-12 Networks I'm sure they're going to show it over the next couple of days but Things started off pretty strong right from the get-go. Travis Dye scored a touchdown on a 26-yard pass from senior quarterback Anthony Brown, who was your first-team quarterback for the Oregon Ducks in this game. All day. All day. Jay Butterfield was the program's second-string quarterback, the second quarterback, if you will, uh, to get onto the football field. He threw a, a touchdown pass on the second possession, 11 yards to Chris Hudson. Henry Cattleman scored, uh, two, made two field goals, 37 yards, and an impressive 52-yarder as well. Uh, Robbie Ashford connected uh, on a 44-yard touchdown pass to Dante Thornton, which ultimately ended up being the game-winning touchdown. And then walk-on Aaron Smith, uh, he added a four-yard touchdown run in the midway through the, the second quarter uh, for that one, a game in which – uh, Eric, I think we should start here. Offense came out on fire. Two yep. straight <clears throat> scores. Um, they scored almost all of their points in, in the first half. Two touchdowns, two uh, three touchdowns, two field goals in that first in that first half period. And then the defense in the second half, they really locked things up and at one point even had the lead. Yeah, it was a tale of a couple halves, and yep. like honestly, like. I thought the offense stole the show on the first three or four drives and looked really, really good. And it kind of felt like, oh my gosh, the offense, which is kind of what the first scrimmage looked like that we saw. My gosh, are they just like going to run away with this, dominate this? Um, And we should note the scoring is funky. So it's like the fact that it comes down to the end of the game. The defense didn't score touchdowns, but they got points for forcing turnovers, for three and outs, three and outs, sacks and and so forth and so on so and for you know fourth downs you know for forcing turnovers and downs so like that's how they were accumulating points that's how you get to 35 34 but at one point it was 14 nothing offense and it was 27 14 at half and it really felt like the offense had control on this and like matt said the defense just played really well and i think you you go through this and we'll have a lot to talk about from a position by position breakdown quarterback obviously but like i thought you saw over the course of the game that this defense can really, really cause some problems. And at times in the second half, the Oregon's second team offensive line had no chance against the defense. Um, you know, and I thought the pass rush was really impressive. They shut down the run game in the second half. They forced a couple of turnovers. Um, all in all, that second half was really impressive from the defense. And it followed a first half where at least early on, 
the offense moved it pretty effectively. And yeah. we're going to talk about a bunch of different position groups, but spread it around to a bunch of really good young receivers. And I think that's you know, one of the, one of the talking points come out of spring is this offense has some real, real playmakers at wide receiver um, and at tight end. From a quarterback perspective, stat wise, um, Anthony Brown got the heaviest individual workload went 20 for 29 on, on passing went for 230 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, no quarterback threw an interception this game while yet there was an interception in this game. Uh, there, <laughs> Thanks, Anthony Mike Brown that. also had a quarterback rating of 147. Showed the ability to run a little bit. Had a couple uh, first down scrambles for for Oregon, but overall, your thoughts on Anthony Brown and just kind of how he looked in a game in which. There were a lot of eyes on the senior quarterback because he's taken every single rep in spring ball with the first team offense. Yeah, I think one thing I want to say about quarterback before we jump into kind of evaluations is it's worth noting that sort of tough to do this because of the play at corner. Oregon was out with without their top three corners and really had two scholarship corners. And so Brown was facing two scholarship cornerbacks while the second team guys are facing like walk-on safeties, like legitimately guys that don't even play the position that aren't on scholarship. And I say that just to say like the level of competition was different because yeah. Brown was a first team offense. They're going one V one. They were facing the first team defense and the first team defense while it didn't have Mikhail Wright or DJ James or Trico's bridges, at least had a couple of scholarship guys in, in Dante Manning and Gillen Davies. Um, so I point that out just to kind of like at least at the top acknowledge that. So you, you don't come away going like, man, it was all even out there and, and the younger guys really outperformed because I think when you kind of slice it here, Anthony Brown, to me, here's kind of what I came away with is like Anthony Brown can manage a game. He can make all the throws underneath. I think he's, he makes good decisions with the ball. I just thought there were too many missed throws downfield. And I think that was the one thing I came away a little bit concerned with. I mean, uh, offense was awesome today. Loved a lot of what they were doing from a scheme perspective. Loved the way they got some players involved in space but I want to see a little bit more vertically and, and we'll talk about in a second. The other guys, the younger guys were able to have some success throwing the ball down the field. Whereas Anthony Brown for the most part was kind of game managing 15 yard, 20 yards at most downfield. The other guys kind of unleashed it a little bit. And I kind of liked seeing a little bit of that from an offense that I think a year ago, especially at the end of the season was missing that component, the ability to stretch the field. So I don't know if Brown is just didn't have the opportunities out there, or if we have to give a lot of credit to Manning and Davies compared to the other team's, kind of corners but it just seemed like it was difficult for for brown to connect down the field while the other ones had some success i would agree with that that there were some times i mean he missed a uh wide open touchdown throw to johnny johnson um they ended up scoring i think on that drive travis Dye got the score um so it ended up not costing the first team offense points but yeah like, like you said i mean we were on this podcast what a couple of weeks ago talking about how you wanted to see the downfield throws because fair or not, you had that image of him missing a Devin Williams uh, in the Fiesta bowl, you know, wide open Devin Williams for the touchdown. And it just wasn't completed. And that popped up a little bit in this game again. Um, and he, you know, he, look, he went 20 of 29 for 230 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He wasn't was bad. He, was, was he bad. perfect? No, he was not perfect. Was he bad? Absolutely not. I mean, I think if 
if you told Duck fans, hey, your quarterback's going to throw for 230 yards, he's going to throw for one to two touchdowns every game, and you're going to win 11 out of your 12 regular season games, you would take that at 100%. And, and so I, I looked at Brown and thought, he is what you need right now to maximize the – from what you have at quarterback to maximize the talents that you have at receiver and at tight end. The thing that I think is exciting, though, about the backups, and we, we'll talk more about what Mario Crispo said afterwards because I think it's pretty clear going into the offseason that, like, Brown's the guy. Yeah. Like, they want him to be the guy. But the guys behind him came out, and, and Jay Butterfield's first throw was like a 40-yard pass to Dante. 44-yard pass. It was a really nice throw right on the money for a long game. He caught it, and it started things off. And then Butterfield ended up finishing off with a Chris Hudson touchdown. It was, I mean, it was a pretty easy throw because Hudson got open, but, like, Put it on the money. It was a touchdown. Good stuff. Ty Thompson comes out. He has some success throwing the ball down the field. Robbie Ashford has the the, the pass to um, to Dante Thornton for the touchdown to win the to, you know basically put the game away and win it. These are all throws down the field that Anthony Brown really didn't make. And so like the younger guys did not like there was definitely some mistakes made. I think Ty Thompson in particular like of the three backups had the worst day. He's five for nine for 75 yards. The other guys each threw touchdowns each had more than 120 yards passing. Each were better completion percentages. I mean, Robbie Ashford quietly seven for eight for 123 and a touchdown. Butterfield six for nine for 118 and a touchdown. Um, I, what you saw in this game, I think is that the upside's really high with the younger guys, but that right now they're best off with the, with, with Anthony Brown. And I think it's a pretty, interesting dynamic here and it's kind of I think this pregame kind of proved what we thought it would be which is that you've got Anthony Brown a veteran guy he was reliable he was I think pretty consistent but he doesn't quite have that upper upper tier of maybe arm talent or ability to go out and win you a game and put it on his back the other guys all maybe have more of that but don't have the reliability part and yes some throws that you shouldn't have so it's like it's that kind of balance of, of the of the high ceiling, high floor kind of guys. And, you know, Brown's a high floor because he's a six-year senior and he's an experienced guy. Other guys all have pretty low floors right now, but really high ceilings, but are all young guys. So it played out the way I think we talked about it all spring um, in terms of, like, you've got the veteran and you've got some young guys and the young guys made some mistakes. But, boy, when it was working, it was really working. You want to look at what the other guys did. J.J. Butterfield – J.J. J. Butterfield – uh, six of nine, 118 yards, one touchdown. Uh, his quarterback rating, two, 213.5. Ty Thompson, five of nine, 75 yards. His QB rating, 125.6. Robbie Ashford, uh, this is a performance that's super, super under the radar, I think. Like, I walked away from this game thinking, Anthony Brown is your probably most consistent quarterback you're probably your opening day starter for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah. Jay Butterfield was probably the guy that I was the most impressed with, probably the best arm, um, six of nine, 118 yards. I mean, that throw that he made to open the game for, for his, for the second unit was unbelievably good. Um, looked like it was like a, a second year starter, totally not fooled by the defense, yeah. completely comfortable in his element, making the plays and confidence in, in himself. But Robbie Ashford, 7 of 8, 123 yards, one touchdown, had the best QBR rating uh, of the group, 257.9. And then rushing the football, he was 3 for negative 7 yards and one touchdown, but he just looked very athletic. Like the most fluid guy back there. I mean, he's a baseball star uh, for the baseball team as well. Like 
that's a guy like if he sticks it out and plays at Oregon for five years, like he could be the starter in, in 2022, 2023, 2024. Like he feels like a really good guy whose football is still way ahead of him. I think the funny part is, is I think pretty clearly the guy we were maybe least impressed with was, Ty was yeah. <laughs> which is like the guy everybody wanted to see. And yeah. he wasn't, and again, I don't think he was bad. I don't think any of the quarterbacks were bad, but he had, he had probably more freshman moments than the others. And yep. Um, and had a harder time completing some of the passes. Uh, you saw the arm. He, I can't remember who caught it, but he had a couple downfield that were pretty in, impressive. But, but like, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of funny that you come away thinking that way. And I, I think, I think you look at this group, and it, it, again, I don't think anything changed after today. I mean, we kind of talked about that as being a possibility. It honestly, it kind of feels like everybody sort of did what we expected they might do. Yeah. You know, like Brown was was solid, and the other guys all had moments, but other moments where they were kind of maybe a little bit out of their element, you know, and then Robbie Ashford only had one incompletion, but there were maybe some decisions in terms of when he ran the football, holding on to the button, he was sacked twice that maybe you'd like to have back. So like, I, th- I don't think we feel any different right now going in out, out of spring in terms of like, I think Anthony Brown's opening day starter. And I think now it's a matter of what can these guys do during the off season. And probably more than likely, this is something where maybe maybe the Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson or Robbie Asher, one of the three, like, kind of elevates and becomes the clear number two, or maybe the big storyline at quarterback throughout the, the fall is is just that question of who is the number two guy. Because I, I don't come away thinking Anthony Brown is losing this job until there are games played that count in September, October, November. Um, and for that to happen, he's going to have to play really poorly or one of these other guys is going to have to overtake him. What is more likely, um, Anthony Brown, if healthy, throughout the entire season, let's say Oregon plays 13 games. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon, Anthony Brown starts all of those 13 games uh, because he, if he stays healthy, you know, injuries don't prevent him from you know, starting a game, essentially. Okay. Or one of the other freshmen – ends up taking the job what what you feel like is more likely oh um i mean i'm impressed with the upside of the younger guys i think it's hard not to be uh i'll i'll i'll, I'll lean with the first answer though just based upon kind of the history of what we've seen from mario cristobal of being pretty loyal to the older guys and we just saw it with ty thompson last year where they stuck with ty thompson or sorry tyler shuck last year they stuck with tyler shuck all year until the end and i just don't think it's super likely that Anthony Brown just gets pulled this season unless somebody else really steps up. And I'm not saying that can't happen, but if I'm picking which is more likely, I think Brown is, has proven to be very competent, be very composed, and to be somebody who, frankly, like, you know, he's going to give you an opportunity to win football games. I don't think he's going to be out there making mistakes that ruin games for you, whereas the other guys might. So, like, I, I, I'd probably lean towards Brown just being the opening day and the, the end-of-season starter um, just because I, I think they'd probably go with seniority. I, I would lean with Anthony. I, I would lead with Anthony Brown being the the full time starter if healthy for the for the entirety of the 2021 football season. Um, I, I think you hit the square. You know, you hit it nail on the head that we walked into the spring game thinking he was the best guy, and we walked out of the spring game thinking he was the best guy. Um, I, I will think like some of these younger quarterbacks might have the talent to win a game that Anthony Brown can't win, but I just don't think that they're, they're reliable enough yet. And 
know, maybe they make a big jump in the spring and then into the summertime, and maybe they get some game reps that change things. But I think Anthony Brown's your most reliable guy at quarterback right now, your most consistent guy. He doesn't have a ton of peaks and valleys, if you will, uh, with his game. And what you have on offense, at offensive line, at running back, and certainly at receiver and certainly at tight end, you need that consistency uh, because let's transition here. Offensively, observations, Eric, I think you and I both come away thinking, holy smokes, there is a ton of talent at the receiver spot, and the tight end room looks completely loaded. I mean, yeah, I mean, where do you start? I mean, there were, uh, what, like half a dozen guys that had over 50 yards receiving, half a dozen guys that caught passes, three guys got touchdowns, a bunch of guys that didn't get a lot of yards were pretty involved and made big plays too. I mean, like when you're looking at it and saying, you know, Micah Pittman and Spencer Webb and CJ Verdell and Travis Dye were like your seventh to 12th guy in terms of receiving, it tells you a lot because those are some of the guys you've, you've kind of grown to be accustomed to being star guys. And let's start with the two true freshmen, you know, and I mentioned it at the top, they were facing walk-on safeties out there. So they're not exactly against the top talent. And that's unfortunate because I would have loved to see them at least face like Triquest Bridges and Jalen Davies or Triquest Bridges and Dante Manning or whatever the pairing would have been opposed to, um, I don't want to like throw them on blast, but like Lucas Nolan and uh, right. Marko I can't remember. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his, his last name exactly perfect, but walk-on safeties that are playing corner. Like that's the tough spot for those guys. But what you saw was those guys created separation. And when they created separation, they caught some really tough passes. I can't think of a drop for either Franklin or Thornton. I think of the catches that both of them made downfield. I mean, Thornton has three catches, 89 yards, a touchdown. Two of those are on like deep shots, 30 to 40 yards downfield. Franklin, four for 93. He caught a pass that I think saw him end up like at the three-yard line and steps out of bounds that was really close to being a touchdown. Yeah, um, Those guys looked the part and honestly, like maybe ahead of where I thought they were. And, and now we legit, I go like, boy, this is going to be crazy how talented this group is because you've got Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Devin Williams, and Micah Pittman. We know those four guys. Those guys are all capable of starters at this level. Those guys are all proven starters at this level. I don't know how you don't play Troy Franklin. I don't know how you don't play Dante Thornton. I don't know how you don't play Chris Hudson. Hey, Isaiah Crocker, somebody whose you know, name we haven't spoken hardly at all about the last couple of years, but we talked about in the last week or two about how he was – maybe light ball was coming on. He had four catches for 60 yards and, and – or 62 yards, second on the team in receiving yards. And a lot of those were at the end of the game on the last – when the game was on the line, the last couple drives. So, like, I, I mean <laughs> – I don't know, man. It's a lot of dudes. Like they, they could legit be nine or 10 guys deep and every one of them would be really capable. Johnny Johnson's stats, four catches, 50 yards, five targets. Um, he had a catch that if it was live, cause they went, they went thud in the second half where it, 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 he, he got bumped, but the defender clearly would not have tackled him. Um, and he broke away for what would have been like a 70-yard touchdown or a 50-yard touchdown, something like that. Um, his numbers would have been better in a real game situation. Um, I look at Troy Franklin and I look at Dante Thornton, and these are two guys that combined for seven catches. I'm going to choose something very dangerous and do math while speaking at the same time. Uh, you carry the nine, that's 102. So they, they went for seven catches for 182 yards. 
Um, that's just ridiculous between those two guys, two true freshmen. And I, I look at them and think they have to play. I'm not saying they have to start, but from a physical standpoint, just body type perspective, they are something that Oregon did not have besides Devin Williams on this team. And then you look at this and you, you remember, Oh yeah, Devin Williams looked good in this game. And yeah, I mean, three catches, 46 yards, five targets. And a couple of those targets, I think, were misthrows or behind him, you know, where he didn't catch the ball because it, and it wasn't really necessarily his fault. And I really want to see what a lineup could look like with Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Devin Williams, and then you throw in a Micah Pittman in the slot or you throw in a Chris Hudson in the slot. Like, that would be scary. I, I, I think – one of the biggest takeaways I have offensively is at the receiver spot, whether it's tight end or receiver, they have almost an unlimited amount of combinations that they can roll out. It's like the Oregon uniform combinations of like 1,332 different options. That's what it feels like what they could roll with at receiver right now. And I legit don't know what this rotation will look like. That's how exciting it is. Like, like Jalen Red didn't even play in this thing. Yeah. Like, and and he's going to be one of their top three or four guys for sure. And they didn't miss a beat. And that's not even. A, and I'm not trying to take a shot at Jalen. I think Jalen's a great player. We talked about this in the podcast. Like, kind of an under radar pound guy. for pound, the toughest player on the team. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I wouldn't argue that. So like, he didn't play, and this receiving group looked awesome. I mean, it's. I'm just sitting here in my head trying to go like, I don't even know what the three deep is in terms of the order. Like, I think probably. Like today, they started Devin and Johnny outside with Micah Pittman in the slot. Like, maybe if that's your top three, like what's your backup three is then Troy Franklin and, and Dante Thornton outside and J- Jalen Red in the slot. And then your next group is Josh Delgado in the slot with um, Isaiah Crocker and uh, Chris Hudson outside. And Chris Hudson, I just, I, he should probably be in the first team based on what we saw today. So, yeah. like, like, I mean, that's nine guys right there. And all those guys are dudes. So, I mean, they are, this is, this is as deep as this position group has probably been certainly since I've been covering it. And like, like, I don't know if this is crazy, Matt, like this is the, this is at least the early indications of maybe like the best receiving core Oregon's ever had, like the early, early indication of that. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be necessarily, but like from pound to pound, top to bottom to have nine guys this good. I don't think I remember Oregon ever being this, this deep. And then the top tier talent, they've got some guys that are going to be NFL first, second, third round picks on it. And that never happens with receiver. Um, defensively. What, what do you feel like was the thing that stood out? Because like you said, they were missing multiple guys that would be starters for yeah. this team. And I think some of the success at receiver and in the passing game was because Michael Wright wasn't playing. A DJ James was not playing. Um, we didn't see some of the, the normal safeties out there as well. So, and then, and then you say that and you kind of want to like, well, then that probably takes back some of the luster of the receiver room. I, I don't think that's the case because the plays that those guys were making, I don't necessarily think it, um, it helped to a degree, but it wasn't the sole reason why Oregon had so much success passing the football. I mean, they had some, unbelievably good throws from the quarterbacks, putting them right over the shoulder, exactly where it needed to go for the receiver to catch it. And then they just had, you know, jump ball plays where it doesn't matter who is out there at corner. These guys were going up and making plays because they're physically taller than everybody else. So I don't know if it necessarily matters that, um, Mikhail Wright and DJ James weren't playing in the scrimmage for Oregon's receiving 
um, success. But what stood out to you uh, knowing that the defense was a little bit undermanned because of injuries or guys being held out for health uh, precautions or keeping them healthy for the year? What, what, yeah. was the, what was the thing that stood out to you? I, well, first of all, let's start with the way I thought we hadn't seen Dante Manning or Jalen Davies ever play at Oregon. And yeah. now we can say we've seen them play a little bit at Oregon. And like we ran through the way the right receivers looked like they were really, really good. And I don't think this is an indication those two aren't ready, but like, Hey, at least we've now seen them play. And what we've seen is two guys that are athletically gifted and can compete. Now I don't think they won that many reps. I think they probably for the most part lost more than they won just because they were going up against really talented guys. And these are two guys who are basically inexperienced, true freshmen. Um, Dante Manning did have the only interception on the day. So that's notable. Yep. Um, so that's kind of my takeaway at corner. Like, I wish we, I mean, one of my, one of my big questions going in was like, I wanted to see who stepped up in the secondary. And I don't think we got that answered because so many guys were unable to play. So many guys didn't play. It was so many younger players, especially in the secondary. So that part's incomplete. Um, in terms of the defensive line, how about Keon War Hudson being yeah. the first team defensive end next to Popo Amave? How about Amavai? How about him pushing Brandon Dorlis and him pushing Christian Williams and, those guys played in the scrimmage and he played with the first team and, and they played primarily with the second team. I think they all kind of shuffled in and out at times, but like that was notable. Like I, that's a thing you take away. I, mean, I don't think this was a thing where we talked about Davies and Manning being beneficiaries of guys being out because of injury or being unavailable. I, I, I think Kilmer Hudson might've just kind of pushed himself to the top of the, you know, to the top of the pecking order. Might've just kind of, I don't say he won a job, but earned himself those reps. Um, that stood out. And then at linebacker, Justin Flo. I don't know how you, you can't go very long without talking about that. Yeah. First time play, <laughs> He's back on the field. Finally. And he looks awesome. And he looks really, really good. You know, and that you see him and Noah Sewell playing next to each other. And by the way, when Oregon's defense started taking up a level, I don't want it. This is no slide on Isaac Slade, Matt Tautia, Cause I think he was limited with an injury um, and, and, and maybe, maybe just didn't play very much because of that. But for most of the game, when the defense started winning, and having some success, it was Justin Flo and Noah Sewell with the first team defense on the inside. And those guys together are going to be super talented. And they're as advertised when they came out of high school as such elite recruits. And you, you got a piece of, you got to see a little bit of that. And it was, it was pretty exciting watching Justin Flo run around his athleticism, his length. It's, it's, it's special. And you see why he was such a highly regarded recruit a couple of years ago. And, and now you see again, kind of the, the shell of, boy, this could be really exciting in the next couple of years. I, one of the takeaways I got was all spring. And I think even in the off season before spring ball started, mm -hmm. there was a lot of excitement and a lot of expectations with this offensive line. Every starter's back. Their top off, their top reserve is back. Sure. I think they're every, I think literally everybody is, is back from the offensive line from the previous year. Um, and then they've added so many other guys into this team's depth chart um, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, best offensive tackle at, the, at a high school in program history, another like top five offensive tackle in program history. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, they, they added the best lineman in program history to this team. They've completely loaded up on talent. And in the spring game, maybe it's just one game and one day's performance. Oregon's defense had nine sacks in this game. So for as much as we talked about how good this defense was, or excuse me, this offensive line was, Oregon's front seven did a really good job of getting pressure on the quarterback. And the thing is, is 
they had nine sacks and it's not like it was Kayvon Thibodeau getting six and mm-hmm. the rest of the team getting three. Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau had one. I think he probably should have been credited with one or two other ones that the, the refs just didn't blow so that the game could keep going, um, sure. being played. But you've got guys like Justin Flo getting a sack, Adrian Jackson getting a sack, both guys being your linebackers. You've got Brandon Dorless being getting a sack, uh, Jade Neverat getting a, uh, a sack, Trevin Maai getting a sack, Keanu Williams, a early enrollee freshman, getting a sack, uh, Suavi Poti getting a sack, and even walk on Louis Cristo uh, getting a sack in this game at the very end. You had nine different guys getting sacks in this game. And it came against an offensive line that I think you look at from within the Pac-12 and say, it's probably going to be one of the three best offensive lines in the, in the conference and best case, you know, max potential possibility for the unit. They're probably a top 10 offensive line in the country, top, top five offensive line in the country. Just two quick thoughts on that, and then we can move on. But I agree that defensive front, all the pressure they got, the sacks they had, super impressive. But just two points on that. First, Oregon was without some of its top offensive linemen from the scrimmage. Ryan Walk didn't participate, at least yep. that we saw, which was kind of interesting. And then Malasal Amavelao has been out all of spring. He's probably like their first, second, or third best offensive lineman. And so we saw a lot of Dawson Yaramillo with the first team, which I thought was notable at the right tackle spot. So I just wanted to kind of like point that out. And the other part is like, you didn't have to bring the quarterback down to get a sack. You just had to touch him. So that right. number probably, I, I don't, I can't go back to every sack that was recorded and be like, well, this one wouldn't have been, this one would have been, et cetera. But like maybe a couple of those wouldn't have been a sack in a normal game situation and, and the quarterback would have gotten out of it. So like just, just a kind of small part, I don't think that takes away from we came into spring thinking there was a lot of talent in the front seven. And I think that was abundantly clear. clear. And, and I think the part, fun that, thing that was fun about this one in particular was like you said, it wasn't just Kayvon Thibodeau unleashing on people or Adrian Jackson or Mace Funa or Brandon Dorless or Papa Amavai, like some of these kind of guys we know and have seen play now for a couple of years. It wasn't those guys doing it. It was like you said, a lot of players who we don't, don't really know what they're capable of doing, making plays. So, and that was really where the game changed in the second half was the pressure that the defense put on the offense. They won those snaps and, you know, um, you had to do that. You had to, you had to basically get to the quarterback and make stops or else the receivers were going to win so many reps down the field against kind of a depleted secondary. So good job by, we haven't mentioned his name, but Tim Druder, I don't know how much he factored into the game plan defensively, probably a lot, but like making adjustment of going like, we just got to get pressure on these guys. Cause yeah. if we're going to let our players play one-on-one on an Island on the outside and it's walk-ons versus really high end fresh five-star recruits or high four-star recruits, or it's true freshmen facing, you know, veteran receivers probably not going to end up that great. Let's move on now to some concerns. Um, I, I think, Eric, watching the spring game, and you always want to look at the lens of this is one of 15 practices, and we're all not perfect. There's going to be days where you know some guys just don't perform up to their highest standard, and there's also going to be days where maybe you play to – kind of your average level, you know, what you should be yeah. consistently playing, but the guy you go up against has an all, all career day. And it's just like, what are you going to do? Like I, I did everything I was in position to do. The guy just had a day. He, it, everything was going his way in this performance. 
Come back next week and we'll do it again and the things will even out. So sometimes that com- comes into play here and you have to take that into consideration, especially in a spring game format and realize that while it's a game, the lights are on, TV's on, a lot of people are paying attention. It's one of 15 practices. But I think what we saw in the spring game is the importance of Oregon's DB room not having injuries during the 2021 football season. Because if you do swipe away a couple cornerbacks, all of a sudden the depth and the experience and the talent at that position group drops off. And no offense to some of those guys that were playing in the spring game, Oregon could be in some trouble if they get into a situation where Michael Wright and a DJ James aren't available uh, for, for a game or for multiple games. I don't think you can talk about concerns without starting there just because it was the biggest weakness of the team on the day, I think was corner. I mean, you know, and and again, I I think the receivers are awesome. I thought they played great, but part of the reason they were so great is that they just were going up against, they were over, they were overmatching who they were up against for the most part, a lot of the snaps. Um, And probably there's not a single matchup you had all day where I would say the corner was better than who he was guarding, like period. Like, Maybe you would argue like Dante Manning is, is able to ha- win a rep over like a Devin Williams, but like, are, are right. you really expecting that to happen? Or are, and you're definitely not expecting the walk-ons to win, but like, so like, yeah, you're concerned. Cause I, I wanted to see these young corners play and I want to see them against these guys. So like, yeah, I'm concerned with that. I think ultimately the depth part doesn't concern me too much because you do have like those three guys should all be back. The players that didn't play. And then you'll have Avante Dickerson and Darren Barkins, two um, pretty highly regarded high school recruits in 2021 who are going to enroll later too. So that's basically five guys you were without today. And once that sort of sorts itself out, I think he's going to look better. But what I will say is I don't think we go into that Fresno State game knowing much more about Oregon's cornerback room than we did going into the spring game. And that's too bad because I really wanted to come away feeling better about this group. And yet instead um, – in the next couple of days to weeks, we're going to do like our position rankings of like this group's, right. we think this group's the best, this group's ranked where, and this group's kind of like bringing up the tail end. It's going to be hard for me not to consider the secondary on the back end of it, just based upon what we saw today. And also because I thought everybody else played pretty well. Yeah. Like, there's not another position group that I thought was really underwhelming. Like let's, for example, like we talk about corner being short on guys running back, they were short on four guys themselves and Aaron Smith, the walk on running back came out and, I thought played really well for extended snaps. And that's not even a guy whose name we knew like two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, like there were groups that maybe didn't play um, up to snuff, but I, I walked away thinking I, I'm really curious to see what Oregon can do from a developmental standpoint to get themselves better prepared for if something bad happens uh, from an injury, because it's, you know, you like you just, you you don't want you, you don't want injuries to happen, but you have to plan for it. Like there's gonna be a there's gonna be a situation where a guy gets hurt, and you wonder is someone gonna be available to step up? I, I thought Jalen Davies, I thought Dante Manning, they did a good job in the situation that they were in. I mean, Dante Manning, I thought flashed a, a ton of potential in this game. Um, he had four yeah, I, tackles, I, I, he had an interception. Um, he was in on a couple other plays. So I, I look at that and think, 
Oregon's probably going to be in a good spot with their three or four corners, but can they need a fifth guy? And who does that who does that become? And a couple more will get into campus and get into the program here in June from the recruiting class. So that will help, and that might answer some you know some of these concerns. But it is one that you have to have um, offensively. Is it fair that? Or you know to, to be to to not be concerned or to be concerned. Where, where would you land that you know a team that's prides itself at dominating the line of scrimmage, um, dominating you know physical physicality and being the you know the most physical team out there. You know, yeah. Oregon ran for just sixty-two yards and averaged one point seven yards per carry in this game. We should note that Travis Dye had just two carries for thirty yards. Um, C.J. Verdell had six carries for fifteen. So their starters. Um, went eight carries for 45 yards. Is that a concern at all? Or are you just chalking it up as, hey, they were going very vanilla. They weren't trying to show much. Offensive line was missing a couple guys. They didn't want to get Dyer and Verdell hurt, so they limited carries, and they don't have a lot of scholarship running backs healthy right now besides those two guys. So I'm not really concerned. Or, or is it a concern? I mean, it wasn't great not having Verdell have some big moments like, right. I, and I know we should know, like the, the scrimmage that was open a couple of weeks ago, he had like a 75 yard touchdown in the first play. And, and he showed all the things that we've seen in the past, the explosiveness. I'm not saying he's like regressed at all, but like it would have been nice to see him show some, some like real big signs of improvement, like different things. And I just don't know if we saw any of that really. And I'm not, I'm really not that concerned at running back overall, assuming everyone gets back to health. Like if Sean, if Sean Dollars and Trey Benson are available and Byron Cardwell or Seven McGee are when they get on campus, I don't think Oregon's going to have an issue at running back. We've seen the the, the ceiling of Verdell. We've seen the, the ceiling of Dye. And I think they're good enough to be really competitive in this league. And and frankly, with how good they're at receiver and tight end, they might, might be able to take a step back a little bit. And this might be more of a pass-heavy offense in terms of getting the ball to these playmakers in space on early downs as opposed to handing it off every time. But um, it would have been nice to see one of those guys maybe flash a little more. I mean, Travis had some nice moments in terms of he had a 25-yard run, he had the touchdown catch. But from CJ in particular, yeah, I would have liked to see a little bit more. And he didn't play a ton. He only had six carries. Um, I thought, again, Aaron Smith, nice moments there as a backup. But, yeah, give me give me more CJ, and I, I'd like to see what he can do. And it'll be interesting to see what that looks like with the an offensive line that's probably the actual five because I'm guessing the offensive line we saw today probably is without a couple starters. One other thing I have looking at this offense is is Anthony Brown is he capable of becoming like a top ten quarterback in in college football this year in twenty twenty one like is that in there for for him because mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately going to be what decides if this team goes from being a team that wins the Pac-12 conference and is capable of going and, and winning the Rose Bowl and, you know, three straight years of doing that, uh, of winning the league, to then becoming a team where it's, hey, they're not just a, a conference championship caliber team. They're one that can play in that playoff, play in that air quotes invitation tournament, um, be one of the four best teams in the country. I think that's going to be the difference you know, Anthony Brown's play at quarterback, I think ultimately will be what decides if this is a team that's conference championship caliber or college football playoff caliber. 
I, I would put it exactly the same way. I think this team can win the league with Anthony Brown game managing. They can go seven and two or eight and one, and they can take care of business without exceptional quarterback play. I think they're good enough everywhere else. They can beat the teams in the conference. I don't think the Pac-12 really has a lot of teams with like playoff aspirations. They don't think they have a lot of teams that are that quite that good. Like I don't think Washington's going to be as good as they were a couple of years ago. I think USC is probably the team that would be closest to Oregon in terms of talent. Um, you know, maybe UCLA with some experience could, could push a little bit there too. I mean, they thought they played pretty well down the stretch, but like, I'm not that scared. There's not a lot of teams in the pack that scare me, but when Oregon faces Ohio state and they face, let's say they do get to a college world playoff, they're going to need excellent play at quarterback. I don't think you can win like a, a game managing kind of game with those, with him at quarterback, honestly, um, against those teams. So like, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think, what we've seen from Anthony Brown is I don't think he's going to lose you any games. And I think he's plenty good enough to help you win games against probably anyone from like team 15 to 90 in the country. Just like his play isn't going to hurt. He's not going to cost you those games, but when you take it up a step and you play the top teams, I don't know if he's going to be quite good enough there to match them, you know, punch after punch. Cause I just, again, and maybe this is really unfair. Cause I think the snap count we've seen is still below like a hundred with him at, at Oregon at quarterback, but I just haven't seen him be very good and very effective throwing it downfield. And you're going to have to hit some of those shots. You can't have an offense that's all dink and dunk. You know, you've got to at some point put it down, push it you down. Got to take shots. Got to be aggressive. And the guy, and they've got the receivers to do it. So, like, I'm not saying, and, and maybe that makes up for a lack of his arm strength or accuracy in those passes. Is they just have enough speed down there that a guy is running wide open and he gets he gets separation and scores a touchdown. Doesn't have to be a perfect throw. But we've now seen him a couple of times miss guys that he shouldn't have, and he could have had. I think it was Johnny Johnson or Micah Pittman early on in that game for what would have been a touchdown. And he, he airmailed it by about five yards past him. And that's sort of the, that was that play. Honestly, I don't want to say the other 28 attempts don't matter. Cause I thought there was some really good stuff, but that attempt probably sticks out in my brain uh, than the other ones, more than the other ones, just because it again, sort of showed an area of, of weakness from my perspective that, that you'd like to have seen some improvement on. And uh, you, you bring up a really good point here is, Maybe with more time. I mean, one of the common things that you you heard from the players after the spring game, I mean, when I asked them, you know, what was kind of the overlaying improvement you saw from your from your uh, you know your unit, offense or defense, and basically every guy came out and said communication, being able to learn how to play together, learning how you know what the other one's going to think. It wasn't like, oh yeah, we got significantly better at you know, blindside protection of the quarterback. We got significantly better at, at picking up blitzes. We got significantly better at disguising our blitz packages. We got significantly better at rushing the quarterback. It wasn't like a, a, a football trait. It was a chemistry thing of we got significantly better at learning to play together. We figured out what this guy likes to do in this situation without communicating it. We now know how, you know, we work together better and we know what their strengths are and what their minuses are and how we kind of can counteract that together. That was what a lot of the players said. And so maybe that carries over into the spring in the month of May, in the month of June, while they're here in Eugene and they're going to school and, and they're doing their post spring training. And then when summer hits in June and July, when they're, they're basically not having to do schoolwork, because uh, school is now out and yeah. it, it's all nonstop football for this team. 
maybe that's where they take these next steps where it's the development at receiver, the development at tight end allows Anthony Brown to make these plays to, to become better at connecting downfield because I have to, I have to guess, Eric, this is probably going to be the best receiving court he's ever played with. I don't know what Boston college had on the top of my head, but I know Boston college hasn't been a highly successful program, you know, winning the ACC, winning their division in the ACC, much like Oregon has the last couple of years. So maybe it's the ascension of talent that he's playing with could elevate the game himself. I mean, we made the argument uh, for Herbert when he was coming out that wait till he gets to the NFL and he plays with better receivers, his game will skyrocket. Maybe that translates to Anthony Brown at Oregon because he's never had this type of talent before around him at the position. I like it. Let's go with that. Let's not question anything else. Let's just say he's going to get better, Matt. I know I, I, I say that facetiously, but like, no, like legit, like, no, that could happen. Maybe, maybe they'll just get on a better page and maybe this, maybe they just haven't had enough reps yet. And they'll, he'll start finding, Hey, Devin Williams, when he runs a go route, I need to put the ball here and the ball will be there, but we just didn't see it so far. Alpha dogs, guys that stood out in this game to you. Um, you've got a story up on DuckTerritory.com already, kind of recapping the players of the game, if you will. We don't need to go through every single one of them. If you want, you can go read it on DuckTerritory.com. But the guys that individually, collectively stood out, uh, who are they? Well, give, give me a couple of names, and I'll give you some of mine. Okay. Well, I want to start with somebody we haven't talked about at all, but I just think it's notable. How about Henry Cattleman? <laughs> 52 yard field goal 52 yard field goal guys that doesn't happen in eugene very often i don't know when the last time i have to i know it didn't count in the game game but when was the last time an oregon kicker hit a 50 yarder it's been a long time so that part was pretty cool and, and again it comes 24 hours after bobby williams goes out and says the, the open kicking competition and i know that's just to spur on the competition and it's not to suggest that like cattleman's behind camden lewis and cattleman was with the first team offense when they were kicking field goals and lewis is with the second team when they were kicking field goals so that part's pretty good but like hey he goes out there he hits a 37 yarder it's it's true and then he goes out there for a 52 yarder and I, I thought that was really eye-opening first off that Mario Christmas had the confidence just to put him out there from that distance I mean we've seen Mario punt from <laughs> what kick would be 35 yards in the not too distant past and uh to see him have the confidence for Mario to have the confidence to put him out there was one thing and then for him to, to hit it was another and I just think you continue to think boy you've got a weapon at place kicker um, I've got a bunch on there on offense and defense too. Um, we've talked about probably most of them, but one that pops out on defense, whose name we haven't said yet is Brian Addison. Um, there's a guy who Cristobal said on Thursday, he wanted to see a big spring game from him. He's moved over from wide receiver to safety. Um, highly, really highly regarded kid coming out of high school about four years ago, three years ago, just didn't click at receiver, right? They brought in a bunch of guys. He came out at safety, and probably the the tackle of the day was him coming up, and and I don't know who caught the pass, but it was a short pass underneath, and Addison drilled him and knocked him down, and it did not look like a wide receiver making a tackle. It looked like a safety making a tackle. So um, number 13, Brian Addison, I don't know what his role is going to be on this team. He was with the second team defense on Saturday, but I he made the most of his opportunities. Yeah, I certainly think he's not somebody you can totally discount for for playing a bunch at, at one of the safety spots. Um, another guy I didn't list on there, but I just want to note was how about Steve Stevens, the fourth being one of the first team guys out at safety. Um, you know, they were missing some corners, and that's why some of the guys started. But Stevens was just ahead of Jordan Happel and Bennett Williams at that spot. Bennett Williams was starting at nickel, 
Um, Jamal Hill, another guy who didn't play, and that's kind of notable as well. But um, I think it sort of stands out the way those two guys played in, in a role, I think in a job that's kind of open right now that they both performed really well. I'll give you one guy that we've talked about him a little bit. Um, that's an alpha. And to my knowledge, rescanning one more time to make sure he didn't make your list. Ah, he did. Uh, Chris Hudson at, at receiver. I think so much has been said about Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, Isaiah Bravard coming into the program, Seven McGee coming into the program in the fall, in the summer, that this receiving core in 2020 was going to, 2021, excuse me, was going to be lights out, game changing. Chris Hudson, that was a member of the 2020 class, four star recruit. He's a dude. Um, I, 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 he has to play. He's, he's very, very good. And is someone that I, I've just got a ton of excitement for to see where his game goes and where he develops. I don't, I don't even know how you fit him into this. I mean, yeah. I, I know they, they will, but it's like I, I, he should be on a normal year, like your number two or three receiver, but it's like he's probably like their fourth to sixth guy right now. And part of me thinks the best way to maximize him is just on special teams as a returner. And he was the first guy to get kickoff and punt return reps. So and I'm not saying he's not going to play on, on offense because he certainly should, but I just kind of wonder if he's more of a – somebody we hear a little bit more as like a return guy and he's kind of, that's how he makes his stamp this year. And then when you see some of these older guys go on and, and graduate or go pro and both Michael Pittman and Devin Williams could, could go pro after this year. And obviously John Johnson and Jalen Red are done. 2022 might be where Chris Hudson steps in and is like a 45 reception kind of guy and, and steps in as kind of a star. It's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Hit the like and subscribe button as well. And until then, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks.